a, a word processor, a computer is not just a clever typewriter. There were many more skills we should have had. So coming back to today's 18 year olds, they have to be inquisitive, they have to keep looking and they have to keep learning and assume that uh, these things, these skills aren't going to be put on a plate in front of them by their professor, by the university. They themselves have to be inquisitive and experiment. If a university, if an institution doesn't investigate, doesn't learn about what's happening with AI, doesn't produce policies uh, for how they interact in the classroom, learners are going to be doing it anyway. Resistance to change is often, often a result of a lack of imagination. Learning is now part of our jobs and technology is accelerating this. We are seeing, especially in social media, a lot of people, a lot of solopreneurs who are simply sharing what they are learning and they're really quite successful. If we manage to let this happen in organizations, then those organizations will become real powerhouses and how to retain the know-how in a way that it's it's then it's then kept in the organization. Welcome back to the podcast, Unbox Your Curiosity. I'm your host, Christiana Zhao. I'm also a LinkedIn creator. In today's episode, from trackboards to AI, preparing today's learner for tomorrow's tech world, we're diving into how generative AI is reshaping the way we learn, teach, and manage our organization for talent retention and acquisitions. Grab your headphones and let's explore the future of learning, and you do not want to miss this. Today, we had invited two speakers to the field. The first one is Maria Jose Perea Marquez. She's a co-founder of LD7, advisory for digital transformation and digital business model innovation. Maria Jose is also an investor at Wealthy Her, a financial literacy and education platform for women. The second speaker is Oliver Matthews. He's the founder of Four Unit Solutions a higher education-focused consultancy supporting institutions to integrate AI and artificial innovations. He has more than 20 years of experience in the field. So when we look into AI, we always want to explore, you know, how would AI um, change us and influence us, not just as a society as a whole, but also as a corporate, as individuals, or how it influence um, the way we interact with our teachers, parents, and so on. To start open up the floor, I would like to ask, um, in what ways could AI change and transform the traditional teaching methods and the classroom interaction? So what do you think about it, Oliver? Okay, well, I mean, I think the uh, the most important point here is that it's, it's already transforming uh, how, uh, how we interact with students, what's happening in the classroom. And, uh, and it's... It's a case of uh, many, many teachers have, uh, have already started looking into this. Uh, but if, if a university, if an institution doesn't investigate, doesn't learn about what's happening with AI, doesn't produce policies uh, for how they interact in the classroom, learners are going to be doing it anyway. And whether that is uh, the fact that AI is already transforming how, uh, how students research, how they consume information, uh, how they uh, how they consume and analyze data, uh, or how they produce their their essays, their work, their coursework. I mean, there's there's all sorts of ways that different people are different students are actively using AI already, uh, and universities have to be uh, have to be on board with this, uh, at least to control it and to guide and to explain what can and can't be done and what are the dangers and the pitfalls. 
It's also not as simple as just saying, hey, we're going to let AI now teach the next generation. That also doesn't really work. Definitely. I mean, with the um, invention of Gen AI and when it opened up its door for any individuals, we are actually thinking about learning how to learn and learn how to ask the right questions. We also provide us to have a more personalized teaching and learning experience as well, which people, you know, with different cultural background, different ethnicity, with different learning ability can can now learn uh, in, in different way. However, we also see, you know, there's probably a fallback with Gen AI or other technology since it cannot replace the human interaction. But taking a step back, Maria or Jose, what, what's the role of technology in learning? How would it influence us? So if I'm looking at organizations and how people are um, acting in organizations, learning and training has always been part of um, the um, the the jobs in organizations. However, um, technology is is coming up with a lot of more opportunities. Um, while in the past, training has been always somehow um, an enhancement in capabilities for gaining a new job profile for an individual and thus also then um, be qualified for a new job. Learning is now part of our jobs and technology is accelerating this. Um, this hasn't really changed so much in the past. However, however, what changed really is the speed. So with generative AI tools, we are seeing that the way how technology is being used is being moved to linguistic expressions. So we can now simply use our normal language to express our needs. And once they, those needs are well expressed, we can then use the technology behind this. However, what this, what this does mean is that, as you just also stated earlier, we need to understand how to ask the right questions and not to find answers to the wrong ones. And that's the change we need to understand. Point number one and point number two is that learning is becoming is becoming a daily routine. So learning and, and continuous learning is something that needs to be part of um, the uh, normal job activities within organizations. I mean, definitely with the technologies being enrolled as a catalyst in the whole, not just learning process, but the entire you know, interactions in between individual and individual and individual and organizations, we definitely need to struggle with uh, things. But we actually have, a lot of people have a great focus on the learner themselves. But in fact, with the acceleration of technology or the enablement of Gen AI, it also influences the teacher as well. I mean, it can help them to prepare for materials, can also uh, simulate the classroom experience before they actually go into the classroom and interact with their uh, students. It also indicates that it can save time. But Oliver, based on your past experience in the education industry, how would Gen AI influence uh, the teachers uh, from this aspect? There's there's uh, different ways of looking at that. One one is how you how you teach and how you involve Gen AI in the classroom within your uh, within the learning experience. And uh, I just saw actually uh, the first uh, first master's program being advertised, which is a, a fully AI assisted master's program from the US, uh, where they've said that every single module within their masters is now supported has AI integrated into the learning experience does scare me a little bit when I read that. It seems that that really is an extreme to say our entire program is AI assisted. 
that AI is part of the teaching package. Uh, but there's there's all sorts of ways that whether it's uh, saying okay we've got we can consume more amount more data, present students with a larger quantity of data, but guide them in how to how to prompt the correct data analysis and ensure that the output is correct. Uh, you can cover a lot more ground. Uh, we now have a scenario where you could actually give students a reading list and say here are twenty books, and here is how I want you to use Gen AI to summarize and to obtain the correct data so that you're you're reading the correct information, but you're consuming far greater quantities. Uh, so some of the traditional research and preparation tools are really expanding. Uh, but then we could also look at it not just from teaching and learning, but as you said, it's time saving. So when a, uh, when we look at learning management systems, where they're already integrating AI tools, uh, for example, Blackboard, uh, you can uh, you can already prompt a uh, a, curriculum, a curriculum structure for a module. You can get rubrics after you've created your module. Now I look for the rubrics. Based on all of the slides and documentation uploaded, it will also generate for you example questions uh, for a, a test for an examination at the end. All of these things, are, they require the supervision of an expert who knows what is right and wrong. Otherwise, you really could end up with people being taught and learning uh, incorrect uh, information, incorrectly positioned, but it's a huge time saver. It can really allow the teacher to focus on classroom and individual student interaction, which is the highest value we can have out of a, a lecturer. We don't want them doing admin. After we have launched um, Gen AI for quite some time and everyone somehow get a taste of it, so we do understand it as an enabler. Um, yet, um, it's one key topics that might always pop up is accessibility or equality, um, because we do see when there is a greater technical divide, we can also provide an educational divide or inequality in the society. So what are the determining factors that can make the learning more equitable with the acceleration of AI? Marie Jose would like to pick up this question. Sure, thank you for asking this question. Um, equality and in, in excess of education and in, in excess of learning is for me a very, very important prerequisite for really having equal opportunities in the workforce. And um, technology can be one part, one crucial part into it um, by simply providing yeah, the material, no matter whether whether a, a an individual is belonging to a team or is a is a leader or even um, a board member, and this is something when you are looking at the organizational signatures of the past, the main way how information flew was top down. So information was a currency of power, and this is changing currently. So first of all, information and thus also know-how sits typically with people acting and practicing a certain task. And, and um, more often than less, those, um, those knowledge items are sitting really with people interacting with customers or interacting in, an, in a manufacturing um, assembly line. Um, and this has to be understood that this know-how needs to be somehow pulled out of the, out of the people in a way and being shared properly. And this is the first step to really taking care that equality in learning in organizations can happen at all.
Yeah, totally agreed. And beyond that, actually, uh, I think one of the big challenge or enable everyone to benefit uh, from AI in from an equitable way is that the cost of training model is actually quite high. And of course, many of the technology company um, do have the ownership of the of the data, which actually make it quite difficult uh, for for everyone to benefit from it. I mean, beyond that, another other challenge that's come out is um, the limitation of the data set that we currently having, um, which actually excludes some sort of the uh, ethnic groups or some people outside of the training data, which make it lead to inaccurate of the training results. So there are definitely a lot of things that we can probably do as a society in long term. Yet we, we also know we cannot solve you know all the uh, trouble or all the challenge out there by individuals or by the organization themselves. But there is something that we can definitely do. For instance, uh, retain um, the, the talents that have the self-learning um, ability. So from an organizational perspective, Marie Jose, how to retain the expertise of people to get a self-sustained knowledge management system from the organization? So first of all, the organization as such needs to change somehow. Um, as I stated earlier, um, information flowing top down needs to be somehow belong to the past. And information flowing more in a network of knowledge needs to be established in a way that people are encouraged to share their know-how and expertise, especially their practical expertise. Um, especially especially in, in, um, in industries where you have a very, very high entry barrier, where the practical know-how is crucial to understand how to train machines and also autonomous systems um, is important. It's really important also for those people to share this know-how in a way that um, the data can be somehow used then also in in um, in then later on AI and algorithms as well. Um, so that's point number one. So getting from, from an organization um, which is more a command and control organization to an organization where know-how is organized in networks. Um, and the second topic is more around the individual that um, the the people are being encouraged to share the know-how in an in a psychologically healthy and safe place. So people need to learn. They they need to be encouraged also to make some 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 errors um, and fail and to learn from failure and share this expertise. We are seeing, especially in social media, a lot of people, a lot of solopreneurs who are simply sharing what they are learning. And they're really quite successful. If we manage to let this happen in organizations, then those organizations will become real powerhouses and how to retain the know-how in a way that it's it's then it's then kept in the organization in the organization, sorry, and not um and not and not going out of the organization once the, those key experts are leaving the company. Well, we see the importance of the support or the driving force from both sides. One is from the organization point of view, that the corporates take responsibility and, and, and understand the importance um, of retaining individual with the self-learning skill and see them as an individual as a whole. But on the other side, we also need uh, to have enough candidates, I won't say produced, but coming out from the education system that have developed the self-learning skill.
In our first discussion, Oliver, you mentioned it actually to become a self-learner. It's not something that developed at the university. It's something that you develop since your childhood while in primary school and so on and up to university. So given your experience in the educational system, what should we do to encourage people or encourage students to, to become a self-learner? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, as, as you mentioned, it's, it starts really a lot earlier than university. Uh, universities have an important role to play in encouraging and expanding and keeping people asking questions. Uh, but I mean, it's, it's also uh, an age old question. It has uh, its roots in different education systems where we, we often look at the difference between East and West of uh, Eastern education systems having a far stronger quantitative background, rote learning, uh, repetitive, uh, uh, repetitive training methods for, say, mathematics. And we know that works incredibly well. There are certain subjects that do benefit from repetitive rote learning, uh, whereas others, creative arts, languages, uh, benefit a lot from, uh, from freedom of expression, of questioning, of exploring. Uh, and so there's, there's a comparison between the two education systems. Uh, the question is, how do you, how do you blend them? Uh, and how do we how do we make sure that anyone coming into university, irrespective of their education background, uh, of the type of schools they went to, learns to keep learning, to keep asking questions, to be, to innovate, and that's that really isn't easy. Uh, but there's uh, there's absolutely a role to play for universities to say, irrespective of where you come from, we're now going to onboard you. We're going to provide the correct sort of framework and interaction so that individual learners are prompted. And that could be a, a role of AI. This is really an opportunity for us to now say where we never used to have the time uh, to care about each individual's person's learning journey and support, uh, we can now actually tailor a, a learning experience to that individual. It's not that a teacher stood in front of a class of 50 people says, I don't want to talk to each student. 50 people at a time is perfect, or 200 at a time is perfect. You, you see that in some state universities in Germany, two, 300, 400 people in a room. No chance at all of personalized education, but we have that possibility in front of us now. Well, we have mentioned the cultural difference when they come to learning. Well, another important aspect that we can also consider is the generations. So we mentioned, we all recognize that Gen Z is the one of the first generations that's being called a digital native. So they grow up with, let's say, mobile phone, they grow up with the internet. And we are seeing probably the Gen Alpha is the first generation that's really grow up with AI. Um, however, um, given that we know the, the generation difference, we also ad admit, uh, uh, probably I need to understand that not everyone's, uh, you know, ready for, for the change. Not everyone are ready to adopt AI completely um, in, in their workforce. This is also one of the key challenges when we would like to uh, exercise digital transformation in the corporate environment. Some employees that are not so favorable with AI or, or digital uh, technology might have seen as the blocking points um, in, in this process. In this case, what would be the advice that you would like to give for those kind of organizations that are urging to uh, exercise digital transformation? So first of all, let me also reflect a little bit on what you both um, just discussed a couple of seconds ago. Um, I totally agree with um, Oliver, what you just said, that the, the phase of, of graduates and done jobs are over. 
So it's it's not just sufficient to graduate graduate in one job and then just start um, into the professional career and then um, stop somehow learning. So learning will be definitely somehow belonging to the daily job routines. Um, this is um, one point. And to your point, uh, Christiane, regarding um, organizations and how people are somehow reluctant to change. Um, my personal um, observation experience is that resistance to change is often, often a result of a lack of imagination. So people can't really imagine what does it mean for me in particular um, when I'm embracing into a change. And this can be this can be definitely embraced by technology as well. So making people aware, um, let them experiment what a piece of technology, not just AI, but a piece of technology as tangible as it might be, um, may then um, impact their own working environment and let them make also the experience to do so. This can already tear down some some words however it's again it's all about a a um a mental safe place where people can also then learn and to unlearn so the, most of the jobs we were who may have required in the past some more physical capabilities are now transiting more into knowledge work Point number one and point number two, this transition needs to be accompanied so that people can somehow transit also from using hardware, from using physical items to using software. We have seen this over the last 30 years, once the um, the um, computerization started also in, in, in office-related tasks, we see, we saw that people are somehow missing their, their typewriter and using MS Word still as an electronic typewriter and not with all the functionality you are having in such an, in such an office product. Um, and this is something which needs to be accompanied and big tech firms are doing some um, work here, uh, which is called so cutely um, AI co-pilot, so accompanying people in their daily work and really using them um, a system, how it's being planned to be used. And these are the first uh, smaller nudges so that people are getting a little bit, let's say, more comfortable in, in experimenting and using something new. But there is still a way to go. Since um, we had mentioned, you know, how can we do digital transformations in a corporate setting? Maybe we will also like to cover um, how would AI influence and, and, and change the educational system? So we know now, Oliver, you start a new chapter to provide a consultants to the traditional um, educational institution to integrate AI. So what are the key challenges that you're, you're foreseeing and, and um, you know, how, how should the university overcome them? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really an interesting time, and you're right. I, I've just recently switched from being on the inside of the university system. I've worked at four universities, and now being on the outside, and I'm I'm talking to a lot of different universities these days. And the aim the aim is to uh, is to help uh, institutions analyze to see where they can uh, where they can implement AI, where they can save time, become efficient, where they can achieve their goals using technology. Uh, and the uh, is I have some great conversations. There's a lot of people who are very interested who want to move forward, but the biggest challenge I find is that many of the uh, the priorities when you're looking at uh, the range of uh, problems uh, construction sites that educational institutions have and how they prioritize them. Quite often, all of the these tools like AI and 
uh, in, uh, personalized learning and a new way of research and teaching new skills or uh, having AI as part of your admissions or your uh, your marketing. These, these are nice to have for many institutions because their real priorities are far more prosaic. It's uh, how do we fix X? Um, we, how do we get our classroom set up correctly? We, we need new technology here for our basic database behind the scenes. Uh, we need to generate more students. Uh, so I just I just had a meeting with a, a, a state university in Germany, where there's all sorts of things we could have done, and really lots of open opportunities. Their key question was, yeah, there's just not enough German students. The number of German school leavers is decreasing by five, ten percent a year. How do we get more people from overseas? As simple as that. If we don't put bums on seats we aren't going to exist. AI sounds wonderful, but it doesn't matter if we've got no students. So it's, it's, it's actually quite an interesting dynamic to see that there's this whole beautiful future that we could be working on, all, all of these tools and opportunities, uh, but many, of, many universities are still stuck on some quite fundamental problems they have to fix first. And there's yeah, a, a, a gap of imagination. How do, we, how do we fix the short term and move to the long term? And Marie Jose, are you surprised by what you heard, or this is very similar to what you were expecting? Honestly, um, it's interesting. It's I would say it's the same problem I'm seeing in organizations, but a slightly different perspective. Uh, let me frame it in organizations for what I'm seeing there. And um, people are are desiring for a digital transformation, but are not really prepared to do so. Why? Because they haven't have done they haven't done the uh, let's say the elementary housework you need to do um, house and homework you need to do to just become eligible for digital transformation. Like um, still relying on legacy systems which are at its best twenty years old, at its worst thirty and forty years old. Not really harvesting um, the data they they are having, especially when you are when you are already having a certain history in your way to do your business. You have a lot of data. People in organizations are not really using this data and are not prepared to do this um, data. And one specific question I'm I'm keeping asking: How many reconciliation reports do you have? That's always an indicator. The higher the number, the less the way how they're using the data, right? So that's number two. And, and, and number three is migration to the cloud, especially in Germany and especially in Europe. I think this is not an exclusive um, um, a factor in Germany. I think it's in Europe in, in total that companies in Europe are somehow reluctant to go into the cloud just because main companies providing cloud services came from the US or from China. So, and and both both jurisdictions weren't at least in the past weren't not very prominent in taking some of the let's say regulatory requirements which are very very um, sacrosanct in Germany at least um, to the highest level of quality. This is changing. This is changing a lot, and this is definitely a development where um, German companies and also European companies are seeing this with with a lot of, let's say, um, a lot of satisfaction, um, but there is still a way to go. And um, especially in, 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 in um, SMEs or smaller, medium term, um, medium sized enterprises, those companies are still a bit reluctant to rely on total, let's say, dependence on a tech company to manage their cloud services and to manage their data. 
but they have to. And only then they are really eligible for becoming a tech company and, and, and move from very much um, hardware and physical items driven business to a more software and data driven business. We actually do see the environmental factors influence how people perceive and use AI or how, how important it is for privacy and safety. It also influence, you know, how we use some data in the, in the corporate settings. So it definitely also applies when it comes to um, employee training, employee education. So Maria Jose, what will be your advice on this topic? So first of all, let's, um, let's look at um, how companies are making money. As long as um, it's not being actively disincentivized that exploiting data from, um, let's say, individuals for the benefit of a few and for the detriment of the majority, as long as this disincentivization is not happening, in my view, there is only one major antidote to it, and this is transparency, explanation, and really making people aware by education how their data, their personal data can be used and misused. And it's important to understand both used and misused. Because at the end of the day, I, I mean, ideally, we can keep democracies um, still at the major, majority of jurisdictional systems in this world. And in such democracies, we are still individual uh, individuals who can decide over how the, the data is being used. But people need to be educated properly so that they can make use of this freedom. And this is definitely a duty of the individual, but also of organizations who can provide this transparency, how the data is being used, ideally only with consent and compensation. Um, point number one, how algorithms are being built in terms of how the training data has been composed, what the features are being um, are, are, um, are being programmed, and the expected results. And in case there aren't expected results, i.e. eradicate results, then be transparent about this as well. And only this is, in my view, the only way how to protect the, on the data side. On the technical side, I mean, now really cybersecurity topics, in my opinion, there are only two uh, topics here to be uh, to be pursued, uh, resilience and redundancy. There is still, um, still the profit margins to hack organizations are higher than to protect them. And as long as these economics are working in this way, companies and also smaller entities need to understand how they can become resilient as fast as possible. And this, in my opinion, the, the, the way to resilience is redundance. We have actually covered quite a lot of topics and, and related how can we prepare for the future, given that we know um, Gen AI is there to stay. We covered, you know, the, the, how can the corporates uh, be prepared and how can the university be prepared, prepared? How would it influence our education system and our personal learning process? To close up this podcast, I would like to bring back one very simple question, but might not be super easy to answer, is what kind of skills an 18-year-old would like we need to develop uh, for the future, based on our today's conversations? Um, Oliver, would you like to make a start? Oh, I mean, actually, uh, Maria Jose already mentioned it. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's lifelong learning. It's, uh, it's not a new 
topic. Uh, it's not a new uh, idea, uh, but I think it's just becoming ever more relevant. There's uh, with every new uh, technological innovation, and we did just take a large leap uh, with uh, Gen AI, uh, but it's not the first technical step forward. Things are definitely not slowing down. And uh, um, the one thing I know is that whatever we think, uh, kids, 18-year-olds uh, need to learn for the next five, 10 years. We're probably guessing at it. We're probably going to get it wrong. But if you think that their career is going to be over the next 40 years, we don't have a hope in guessing in 40 years what skills are really necessary, are still relevant, and what will be needed to survive. Uh, and I, I know for a fact that uh, when I went to university um, uh, a number of years ago, uh, the, uh, we started our university with uh, essays all handwritten on paper. By year two, the university has said, one of your essays must be within the year written on a computer. By the end of that four-year degree, handwritten was no longer permitted. Everything had to be word processed. And it was that crash course in, well, let's teach all the students how to touch type. Let's, uh, let's get them all into uh, word processing mode. Uh, and that was a technicality. It's like at least learn how to type quickly on a keyboard. But they didn't think, even the university administration didn't consider, there's far more to computing than typing. That's, uh, again, what Maria Jose mentioned earlier. A word processor, a computer, is not just a clever typewriter. There were many more skills we should have had. So coming back to today's 18-year-olds, they have to be inquisitive, they have to keep looking, and they have to keep learning and assume that uh, these things, these skills, aren't going to be put on a plate in front of them by their professor, by the university. They themselves have to be inquisitive and experiment. And Maria Jose, what would be your takeaway? Yeah, so there. Um, let me let me try to add something without saying the same. Um, so first of all, my my strongest opinion is that technology has always somehow changed the anatomy of our work and working environments, and this will this will continue. Um, the only thing is, what I'm seeing is that the speed has been accelerated. So um, I'm seeing a couple of things which are important. Point number one is what we already um, said a couple of times is asking the right questions and express linguistically what, what the needs are is becoming definitely important um, and provide the context, right? So provide a context where questions are being perceived objectively um, the, the problem to be solved. That's something, this skill I think will definitely remain there um, to be to become important and to get into the forefront. Um, the second point is, and this is related to speed, is um, adaptability. So I need to always observe somehow my environment and adapt to it somehow. And as as if I'm if I can do this fast enough, I'm definitely better than the others. And this is definitely something I would always advise um, an 18-year-old. And the last point is experimentation and and um, liberty to play so always try to somehow um, try something new and and experiment and fail and ideally make one error only once and not twice so it's all about somehow becoming adaptable and always somehow also um, about 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 speed that's um that's something every everyone needs to find um, his or her own um, answer to it. How to 
how to really catch up with the speed of technology advances and adaptability and, and learning to learn and learning to unlearn and let things go. Um, this is something I would always advise an 18-year-old. Well, I'm actually totally aligned. I think it's actually important that we actually develop to become uh, a lifelong learner. Um, and I assume in, in here, all of us do have a good picture. I don't know what, um, you know, the workforce will look like after like 10, 20 years, um, at least with a crystal ball. Um, with the development of Gen AI, we also see many new roles that just recently came out, including, you know, the, the Gen AI prompt engineer or uh, the digital accessibility officer. And definitely in the next, let's say, five, 10 years, we will be seeing new roles come out and there'll be new uh, breaking, uh, groundbreaking technology. But taking a step back, I think it's actually quite important that we enable the, the younger one or even ourselves to have a systematic learning, to learn the basic, to know what's the first principle. So it's better for you to learn how to code uh, in an initial first place and know what works and what doesn't work, um, even though ChatGPT can now do the coding for you and create the software. Um, for the, that's, that's why I think it's actually quite interesting and important for all of us to uh, remind ourselves and, and just ask, you know, what would be the advice we would like to give to an 18 years old? And, and this kind of device might be able to fit back to ourselves to remind ourselves the importance of being a lifelong learner, which actually refer back to the topic of today's podcast to prepare today's learner for tomorrow's tech road. Thank you very much for both of you for attending this podcast. And I do believe uh, your knowledge and your expertise are provide valuable insight uh, to the listener. Um, we would like to have you in the future and please um, keep following us and you can uh, listen to the podcast on Spotify or watch the video on YouTube. Thank you. <laughs>